Hey, thank you for listening. Did you know I have a YouTube channel? I have over 130 different videos. I have videos with more scary stories told in the rain, scary stories by a crackling fire, and I also have videos that are less relaxing and more on the scary side. Go check it out, and please don't forget to subscribe. In the YouTube search bar, just type being scared. All right. Catch you later. This happened about 11 months ago when me and my wife got married in June. I'll never be so grateful that I have a habit of locking doors. Our wedding day was coming to an end. Family and friends were slowly starting to depart as me and my wife Diana took pictures and chatted with some of the guests who stayed a little longer and were just having a good time. It was a great day and a lot of my fond memories were made, but what was least expected is what happened that night as we were on our way to our honeymoon. As me and Diana said goodbye to the last of our guests around 9 p.m., we got into the car and headed home. We had our bags packed prior to the wedding day for Cancun and were ready to go. I live in Washington and we were in a bit of a hurry because instead of flying out from the Seattle airport in SeaTac, like normally people do, it was a lot cheaper for us to drive up north to Canada and fly out from a Canadian airport. Also, me and my wife thought it would be fun to have a little road trip to Canada and then fly out from and then fly out from Canada. Plus it was only a three and a half hour drive for us and cheaper. So we headed out. 12 a.m. We had a great time driving, blasting music talking about Cancun and just being excited about the new chapter in our lives. Diana slowly started to fall asleep, being exhausted from the wedding and whatnot. We were halfway to Canada. At this point we were no longer in the city area, but more a wooded area with fewer cars and fewer people the more we drove, practically seeing no one on the road. By that time, it was around 3 a.m. We had some extra time on our hands, and I was starting to fall asleep too, so I pulled over to a gas station to get some Red Bull to keep me awake. I pulled into the gas station that was completely empty and parked the car to see Diana asleep. I told her I'm taking the keys and locking her inside and that I would be right back. Not sure if she could hear me, but she kind of motioned her hand around like people normally do when they're too tired to care. I came back around six minutes later to find my wife shaking and crying. I was confused and freaking out because I wasn't sure why she was crying. She couldn't even get the words out at first. Later, once she calmed down, she told me this. Apparently, she did hear me when I told her I took the keys and I would be right back. And as she was sleeping, she was awoken by a tapping on the driver's side window. Being too tired to get up or even open her eyes, she lazily went for the unlock button on the passenger side of the door. As she was going for it, she froze. A thought passed her mind. Then she remembered. Didn't he say that he had the keys? Why would he need me to unlock the door for him? That's when she heard a woman's voice mumbling from the driver's side. She turned herself around to look at the window and saw a woman, long black hair with wide eyes and a crooked smile on her face. She couldn't hear what she was saying at first, but then she heard what she was saying. She kept repeating in a mumbled tone, Are you tired? Over and over. She freaked out and told the woman to leave her alone. The woman laughed and told my wife that she was tired too. The woman never took her eyes off of Diana and tried the door handle. At this point, my wife was close to tears and attempted to call me, but as she did, she heard what sounded like a phone buzz and realized I left my phone in the car. Out of options, my wife started to honk the horn, trying to scare off the woman while also maybe getting my attention. The woman still had her gaze fixed on her and started mumbling more while laughing and trying the door handle again. 
Then she mentioned something about someone named Sarah and asked my wife if she knew her. After a few more minutes of mumbling, she left. To my wife's words, the minute she left, I came out of the gas station. So my wife broke down. I don't know how I didn't hear the honking of the car, and I still feel bad for leaving my phone in the car. My wife also added that one of the creepier things about that woman is she didn't look homeless or dirty or anything. In fact, she seemed normal and well-kept. My wife says she'll never forget the woman's wide eyes and the gaze she had on her with that smile. It also chills me to think about what would have happened to my wife if she never realized that I, that I had the keys or if she never heard me say that I had them before I left. I don't know what the woman's intentions were, but if I couldn't hear the honk of a horn, I'm not sure I would hear screams. To this day, I am thankful I have a good habit of locking doors, and I would recommend it no matter how long you're going to be gone. Quick backstory. I work at a gas station on a main route. We see a lot of travelers passing through. Only one person works each shift, and it's a 24-hour store. We are short-staffed, so I agreed to an overnight. I'm female. I work in a state that's always had self-serve gas stations, so this guy comes in. I ask him if he needed any help, and he says no. He's getting gas at the pump, but needs to use the bathroom. I go back to work on whatever invoices we got yesterday. The guy uses the bathroom, and then goes back outside. About five to seven minutes later, he comes back inside and tells me that he's confused about the pump. He directly says, You might have to come outside to help me. The customers don't often say this. They usually just complain that it's not working, so I'm already feeling weird about this guy. I shake it off because he looks like a nerd, and I don't feel afraid of him really. I look at the register to see what error it came up with for his pump, and there are no errors. The register doesn't even say it was in use. Even if someone tries to pay and nothing's wrong with their payment, it will at least say, Payment Loyalty Timed Out. But literally, it had no sign of him trying to use it before asking me for help. I ask him if he wants to just pay inside, and he agrees to, gets his wallet out of his car, and then gives me $10. I give him his receipt, and he says, Can you help me? I don't understand the machine. And I say back, We aren't really allowed to leave this store during overnight shifts, as it's just me here, and it's not safe to go outside. I don't know why I told him I was alone, but he wasn't seemingly threatening. He proceeds to say, I don't understand what it's asking me. I need help. I'm not scary. I tell him again that I can't go outside because it's a store policy for the overnight shift and say back, It's not that you're scary. I just can't go outside. I would have to tell a little old lady asking for help at this hour the same thing. Which is true. We can't even take out the trash during overnights. He starts to walk away from the register counter now, but then again, stops at the door and asks me one last time to come outside and help him. I'm pretty annoyed at this point. I've said no twice now. I'm not going, so stop asking. I finally say in a super annoyed tone. Okay, all you need to do is 1. Pick up the nozzle, 2. Select your fuel grade button, and 3. Put it into your tank and squeeze the handle. I'm not going outside. Then, he finally goes back to the car, and the register tells me that he had no trouble pumping the gas. Also, his plates seem like they're from the state I work in. This kind of thing wouldn't make me suspicious usually, but the fact that he originally opted for me to go outside instead of bringing money inside at 3am is weird. Along with how he didn't bother to use the pump before he came inside to ask for help, claiming that it wasn't working 
and him not taking my first no for an answer. Let this be a lesson to you weirdos out there. No means no. This is a story from my childhood, one of the ones that haunts me to this day. Have you ever seen those memes where it says people react like a criminal when an unexpected visitor arrives on their doorstep? They freeze and drop everything they're doing and throw themselves to the floor to avoid being seen in a window? This is my story of how I became one of those people. At the time, I must have been around maybe seven years old. I was visiting the Midwest, Kansas to be exact, from South Korea, where I was born and raised, just visiting family. Nothing major. On that particular night, the adults, our aunt and uncle and our parents, were going to have a date night. So our parents had ordered us pizza before they left and waited for it to arrive so that we wouldn't have to open the door for anyone. My aunt and uncle had two kids, two boys to be exact and they were ages 15 and 8. Like I said before, I was maybe 7 years old at the time. My older sister was 11, and our baby brother was the young tender age of 3. So all in all, we're ready to just have a night of fun games. After all, it wasn't often the cousins got to get together like this. They lived in the States and we lived in Korea, but we love each other dearly. We saw our parents at the garage entryway, they made sure that we knew the rules and we could recite them back to them. They also made sure that we knew where the telephones were and the emergency numbers to accompany them. It was going to be a typical night with no parents, or so we thought. It had maybe been an hour, maybe two after our parents had left. We were downstairs in the basement in the playroom or the game room, whatever people like to call it these days. We were down there just watching movies, playing air hockey, things of that nature, just being kids. We weren't being loud or anything like that, and even if we were, it wouldn't be too big of a deal, because the way houses were in Kansas. The basements are built into the ground in case of a tornado. I had gone upstairs with my oldest cousin because I wanted some chocolate milk, and I couldn't reach the cups alone, so we wandered upstairs into the kitchen which was on the far end of the house. The others stayed downstairs continuing their games. We had maybe been upstairs for 15 or 20 minutes because while I was drinking my milk, my older cousin was making snacks since we were planning to watch a movie. Then, all of a sudden, we hear the doorbell ring. I remember my cousin looked at me and told me to stay here because it was odd that the doorbell was ringing. It wasn't late but it certainly wasn't early. And I say this because it was summer. It was around 8 o'clock. My cousin started to creep towards the door quietly. It was unnerving for someone to be ringing the doorbell. We weren't expecting any guests, and the pizza had been delivered before our parents had even left. And before he's even halfway to the door, whoever's on the other side starts rapidly ringing the doorbell over and over, the constant ringing echoing throughout the house, and by this point, I had looked over toward the staircase, and I saw our other siblings starting to creep up the stairs, with the exclusion of the baby, who was still sleeping in the crib down in the guest room. The oldest of the kids, let's just go ahead and call him James, from here on out, put his finger on his lips, and told us to be quiet, to make it seem like no one was home, despite there being lights on. He crept closer to the door as the banging and the ringing on the doorbell continues, and he looked through the peephole. I had never seen my cousin look so freaked out, his face drained of color, and he backed away from the door rapidly, and he told us all to go downstairs, but of course, we didn't listen. Honestly, we thought he was playing a joke. Maybe it was some of his friends wanting to scare us, since he did cancel his plans that night to stay home and watch all of the kids. My older sister shoved past him and looked through the peephole herself, and for whatever reason, whatever was on the other side of the door made her have the same exact reaction, and she stumbled back from the door just as pale. At the time, 
I didn't understand what was going on. I don't think any of us younger kids really did. But something wasn't right. After a while, about 20 minutes or so, whoever was at the door stopped ringing the doorbell and all was quiet again. It seemed like they gave up. Maybe they thought no one was home. If only we knew how, how wrong we really were. We all sat in silence for a while after this initially occurred. My other cousin, who I'm just going to call Kyle for the purpose of the story, mustered up the courage to ask his brother James, who was at the door, why James and my sister were acting so skittish. James told us that there was a man wearing dark clothes and seems to be carrying some kind of package or large box, but he couldn't see his face. Of course, Kyle being the little smarty pants he was at the time, started to mock James, saying that he was just being a scaredy cat and didn't recognize their neighbors. Kyle was convinced it was just a neighbor trying to drop off a package that might have gotten mixed up in the mail, seeing that it happened all the time. So we all agree that was the probable cause, until we realized whoever was ringing the doorbell didn't just leave the package on the porch, which isn't that what most neighbors would do? In the case no one answers, they'll just leave it. And why would they try to bring it over to the house at night, instead of just waiting until the next day? But we thought it was over and done with, so we pushed it to the back of our minds. We didn't think it was important to call our parents and let them know what happened, because it was over after all. We went back to the kitchen, grabbed the snacks, and, st and started to head back downstairs, until we heard banging again. But it wasn't from the front porch this time. We were in shock. We froze in fear. I mean, it was coming from right behind us. We turned slowly and looked back in the direction from which we came from. We were currently standing in the dining room and we had already passed through the kitchen. It was like someone was banging on the kitchen window. You know, the one that's typically above the sink, so your mother or father can watch the kids while they play in the backyard while they wash the dishes or something. So James and my older sister, who I'm going to call Nicole at this point, got down on their hands and knees and they crawled back into the kitchen. Just as quickly as they crawled into the kitchen to take a peek, they crawled back to us at almost hyper speed and they told us to get low and stay low as we crawled into the den further down the hallway. James had us all huddle close to the fireplace, out of sight from the windows, and he told us to stay there. He was taking charge. He was protecting his home and his family the best he knew how. James quickly crawled away. I didn't know where he was going, but I was scared. The banging was getting louder, and it was getting closer and closer. At some point, I started to cry, and I remember Kyle put his hand over my mouth, and my sister was hugging us tight. And around that time, we saw James starting to appear back around the corner, and he had his baseball bat. He had crawled up another staircase to get to his room. He crawled past us and put a finger to his lips again, and that's when we realized he was crawling towards the doggy door. He was attempting to close off the one entrance to the house that wasn't blocked. Thankfully, he managed to get it latched in time, because we don't think the man outside had realized that the house had a doggy door. But when he heard the lock click into place, the banging became more erratic, more violent. Then, all of a sudden, much like before, the banging stopped. But we heard pacing. Someone was walking back and forth across the porch, slowly, deliberately. Thump, thump, thump. His heavy boots thundered across the red oak porch. And then, without warning, the pacing stopped, and it became quiet, eerily quiet. Then the man called out, Won't you open the door? I have a package for you. We didn't respond. We stayed quiet, or as quiet as we could, be with the way our hearts were pounding, and with how heavy our breathing was. The stranger called out again, Open the door. And again, we didn't answer. The man called out angrily, 
I said open the door. I have a package. Like before, we didn't answer, nor did we make any sudden movements. The man started banging again, this time directly on the panel window of room that we were sitting in, yelling, I know you're in there. I know you can hear me. Open the door, or I'll open it for you. Bang, bang, bang. The window rattled and shook violently with each impact from the strange man. Thankfully, our cousin's house had reinforced windows, so they weren't easy to break. But unluckily, we didn't have any neighbors close by, so we didn't think anyone could hear the commotion. But while he was making all the noise, we took the opportunity to book it into another room and get to a phone. At one point, while we were on the phone with the police, they asked us if we could describe the man, and all we knew is that he was tall and wearing all black. So Kyle and I decided to be brave, so if something did happen to us that night, they would at least have a better description of who did it. We crawled back into the den and we dared to look out the small corner of the window. We gently moved the curtains out of the way, and behold, the man was still banging. He had moved the shutters off the outside of the window. They're basically hanging off their hinges at this point, rattling with the wind. We made eye contact with the deranged man, direct soul-searching eye contact. I don't think before this night I had ever believed... But there is pure evil in the world. When I looked into that man's eyes, I did not see a soul. I know it sounds crazy, but those were not the eyes of a human. He was something unlike anything I've ever seen before. Animalistic, maybe. The only word that I could describe besides demonic. It was evil, unnatural, and something I never want to see again. When he saw us, he smiled a twisted grin that I'm sure he thought I was reassuring, and he crouched down so that he could get a better look at us, I assume. And then he said, Don't you want your mail? You have mail. I can give it to you if you open the door. I remember just grabbing onto Kyle's hand for dear life and Kyle shook his head no, and he threw the curtain back over the window, and before we even had a chance to move any further, the man started violently banging on the window again. At this point, James had had enough. He passed the phone to my sister and he yelled, Leave us alone! The police are on their way! You're not getting in here! After that, it seemed like the man panicked, because the banging abruptly stopped and then we heard rapid footsteps on the porch. And Kyle and I peeked out the window again, and the man was running through the yard, past all the trees, and he jumped the fence, the wooden 22-foot fence at the end of the yard, into the alley that separated the neighborhood from the old cemetery. We stayed on the phone with police until they arrived, and our parents arrived not long after. But the man was never caught, and we don't know what happened after that night. He just disappeared into thin air. To this day, I'm now 21. Whenever the doorbell rings when I'm not expecting a visitor, my heart drops and I break into a cold sweat. This happened three years ago, but requires some background. My best friend and I grew up in a sleepy, wannabe, New Jersey, Central Florida town, and we were the outcasts. We had met in sixth grade when I had overheard her talking to another classmate about Bionicles, my 11-year-old self's passion. We became fast friends and soon were inseparable. Soon began the gauntlet of sleepovers, birthday parties, and family gatherings. We were practically siblings. She was the first person I had come out to as bisexual, and in turn, I was the first person she told about being trans. Her home life was tumultuous, 
though I can't say mine was any better. We often had a habit of taking refuge at each other's houses. Like I said before, we, we became like siblings. Her father was an alcoholic, strict, and prone to physical discipline. Her sister was a stuck-up girl who soon gravitated towards the hicks and jocks when we entered high school. And her mother was a pseudo-vegan hippie love child held over from the 80s. When I was 23, herself 22 at the time, we had another long night of sleeping over in order to let her escape yet another fight with her mother. She had recently lost her job at Walmart, and I was going into my first shift at Taco Bell the next day. On the drive home the next morning, she excitedly told me that since she now had her own vehicle, she would be applying at pizza places that were in need of a delivery driver. I was proud. It was the first time she had hunted for a job on her own, as I would usually be the one to coax her to apply where I was working. Not that she ever lasted very long. My first training day goes by quite well. My co-workers are friendly and try to get me to talk more. My manager likes to playfully embarrass me by trying to get me to talk hood to my other workers. Being a training day, it wasn't a very long shift, but I had been up early in anticipation and this was my first day on a job in a few months. I got home around noon, informed some of my internet friends that my first day went well, and around 5 p.m., I start to bed down, drained from a good day. As I am preparing to lay in my bed, I get a steam message. Her, lamenting another fight with her mother and asking if she could come over. Now, I had started to grow a bit weary of the fights on their end. I had begun to repair my relationship with my family and a few friends, and I had given her advice many times on how to better approach things. In my infinite wisdom and eagerness to sleep, I left the message on red and drifted off into slumber. Around 8 p.m., I am awakened by her bursting into my room in a panic. Having just ripped from a dream, I am groggy and disoriented. I drag myself to the bathroom to relieve my bladder and come back to my room to find her rocking back and forth on my bed. It is at this time I notice she is covered in blood. So I ask what happened. She informs me that she just saw someone murder her mother with a knife. My mind goes blank. In the deepest parts of my mind, alarm bells start ringing. Isn't the rocking back and forth a bit overdramatic? Why didn't she call the police? But this is my best friend. I've known her for over a decade, and we were the only two people in the world that we could count on. I suppress it and go inform my sister and stepfather. My mother had passed the year prior, and it was roughly a month to the anniversary of her death. We were all in a dark place, antisocial as always. It was the only way that we knew how to handle emotional issues. When I inform my family, they immediately go to the same place as I had, though they are far more vocal about it. I offer excuses that I knew myself were flimsy and return to the room, phone in hand. I convinced her to call the police, and I can hear her explain the details over the phone. A man in a black ski mask. When the cops arrive, she swears up and down that it's most likely her father. They send cars over to check the crime scene and take her in for a statement. I ride with her in the back of the cop car over to the sheriff's office. It gets to be around 2 a.m. Her sister was brought in, as was her father. I have work the next morning and request to be taken home by a police officer. It takes me a while to go to sleep that morning. The next day at work, I am quiet until my manager asks me what happened. I inform him, but decide to work the rest of my training shift. When I get home, my sister informs me that she had confessed. Her mother threatened to kick her out for not being able to find a job, and in a rage, she had taken a kitchen knife and stabbed her repeatedly. My mind froze like a bad computer, and I turned to face my monitor. I was in a Discord call at the time, 
and all I could weakly say is, my best friend confessed to murdering her mother before hanging up and laying on my bed. Her last trial was the seventh of this month. I don't know the results, though my grandmother tells me she took a plea deal for life in prison rather than the death penalty. Part of me wants to contest that, to demand that they take the death penalty for ridding the earth of such a peaceful and caring woman's shadow. A larger part of me is just glad that she's being punished. When I was about six years old, around 2004, my mom started taking my sister and I to Dr. Daniel's pediatric dental office. The dental center was located inside a giant yellow mansion that also doubled as Dr. Daniel's house. It was honestly gorgeous. When I first started going to the dentist, I was extremely shy and actually suffered from selective mutism and had a lot of autistic-like tendencies. Needless to say, I relied heavily on my mother's comfort and for someone to give me a voice because it was extremely anxiety-inducing for me to talk to strangers, especially men for some reason. When my sister and I got called in from the waiting room, my mom followed us to the office until she was told by Dr. Daniels that parents were not allowed to be with their children as it taught kids independence, to which my mom complied to. Once in there, he immediately separated my sister and I, and in reaction to that, I cried because I felt so scared. Dr. Daniels did not like crying, so he grabbed me and put his hands over my mouth and nose, shook me, and aggressively warned me that if I continued to cry and scare the other kids, that he would make my situation a lot worse. Obviously, this scared me even more, so I cried even harder. Dr. Daniels had enough and took me into his house, part of the dentist office, where he screamed at me again, grabbed me by the neck, and shoved me. His hygienist Judy came over and told me that if I continued to cry, she would spank me so hard I wouldn't know what had hit me. Afterwards, he gave me a juice concoction and left me alone in his house for about five minutes until he took me back into the dental office and did work on my teeth. I guess I just instinctively knew that if I wanted to survive, I just had to act like I was not terrified and hold on to the tears. All I wanted was my mom. After the first appointment, my sister and I told my mom that we were scared of the dentist and that he was a mean man, but she just took it as me being an anxious child, so we continued to see him. Each visit was just as terrifying. Every time we pulled into the mansion, my heart just melted away inside my chest. I was so scared. It was no longer pretty to look at. Every time we went to the dentist, Dr. Daniels, or the Tooth Man, as he called himself, always had us have heavy dental work procedures done. We had seals done on several baby teeth, and plenty of teeth removed, some with his fingers with no regards to pain level at all. And often when having a tooth removal or seals done, your mouth, your mouth, had to be opened up with a retract. He would leave us there with a retractor on for about 45 minutes or so before he came to work on our teeth. Sometimes he would eat his lunch while we sat there with our mouth open. Probably one of the worst pains I have ever felt in my life. I remember one time when I was about in third grade, I had been leaned down in the chair, waiting with my retractor on for an hour. I was in so much pain, I couldn't take it. I sat up on the chair and tried to scream and cry as loud as I could. Dr. Daniels came rushing over angry as could be, took my retractors off, and then took me back into his house part again, where he screamed at me for being a big baby and scaring all the other kids. I was so sad in myself because I hadn't cried in so long. He then took me back to the dental chair and then pinned me down to my seat in a straitjacket. He put my retractors back on and said that I would have to wait longer 
because I caused such a scene. All I could do was shed silent tears and drool everywhere, and I couldn't even wipe it because he locked up my arms. Afterwards, my mouth would become so swollen and filled with rashes, it hurt to talk for days. It would leave bruises and swells as soon as I left his chair. He would often tell my mother I was a difficult patient, if I so much as winced at his torture. Once, he removed six of my teeth at once, and I could barely eat. While he ripped out teeth, he would often sing songs. When I was in seventh grade, I started getting some new braces, and we started seeing an orthodontist. Not long after that, we stopped seeing Dr. Daniels, and I started seeing a new dentist who was actually nice. I had never known that getting your teeth cleaned didn't have to feel like going through a saw trap. I think my mom took us out to Dr. Daniels' practice when the orthodontist looked at our dental records and saw a lot of unnecessary procedures being done on our mouths. Not long ago, I was having a conversation with a friend about our childhood fears, and instantly, my mind went to the Tooth Man. Curious, I googled him to see what had happened to him, and to my happiness, the practice was shut down. Also, left under his name was a Yelp page that was still left up. The page was filled with numerous one-star reviews from former patients that were once abused as kids in his office, using the page as an outlet to express their trauma. I started to cry because their experiences were so close and some identical as to what I went through when I was a kid. It was so sad, but at the same time, really validating to know that I was not alone. A lot of the procedures we went through were just a scam for him to collect money off our parents' insurance, and now that I think about it, he probably was so adamant on us not crying and screaming for help because he didn't want parents to hear and come and see what was going on. I shake thinking about this. I really pray that he hasn't opened up another practice somewhere else. I know it's hard not to blame parents in this situation, but the truth is, this man was a swift abuser. For every bruise and swell we had, he would have dental explanations that would make the parents feel stupid for asking. He was an authority figure. I don't blame my mom for not believing us. She knew he was firm, but probably thought we were confusing firmness with meanness. To be honest, even telling this story, the torture was so wild it actually sounds made up. She eventually did come around. She's not alone, as there were hundreds and hundreds of parents that were duped and deceived by the Tooth Man. I dog sit for a family friend. They much prefer to have someone stay at the house with the dogs. I grew up in a town in the middle of nowhere, and I love the countryside. So for me, this is like a staycation, because I live in the city now, and never have any time to myself. Their house is way out in the middle of nowhere. When I say nowhere, I mean this place takes two hours to get to from my work, and is about 45 minutes to the nearest town or interstate. There is one neighbor within five miles, and he lives directly across the street. I'm used to this where I'm from. It's supposed to give you the space that you need, but also help you to feel safer knowing that you have at least one person nearby. However, this guy has done nothing but make me feel unsafe. So I get to Terry and Johnny's house, and they're telling me the drill. When to feed the dogs, water the plants, etc. Then, as they're loading up their stuff to take it to the car, Terry says, Oh, don't forget to tell her about Steve. John says, Oh yeah, don't worry about the neighbor across the street. He's harmless. The guy drinks a lot and he's a little off, but totally harmless. The guy has lost his license so many times, all he can do is drive a moped to get to town. He chuckles and then stops smiling, 
Still, I've got no worries. I'm used to drunk weirdos. I know how to handle them. I love this life in the middle of nowhere, and I've got two protective dogs that will attack on a one-word command, so I'm feeling pretty safe. Terry and Johnny leave around 3 p.m. I took the dogs for a walk and play some frisbee and begin to unload my stuff while they're still worn out from all the running. As I come back out from my second load of stuff, I hear their neighbor, Steve, slam his door and seemingly have a phone conversation. I first just hear his voice faintly, and then he yells, Where did you go? The dogs are hearing him now and start to growl softly. I say, Calm down, boys. It's all right. It's just Steve, remember? He probably wants some privacy. Let's go inside. As I grab my stuff, I hear him yell again, I do care about my kids. And then I hear him throw something on the unpaved road behind me. Turns out it was his cell phone. As I'm grabbing my stuff, the dogs start going crazy and run a few feet behind me, barking and growling viciously. I drop my stuff and turn around to see the neighbor at the end of the driveway, probably 50 to 75 feet, just staring at me. I yell at the dogs to calm down and to get back at my side, and they do. I then give a friendly wave to Steve, and in my head, I'm thinking, this is kind of weird, but he's probably been drinking. Plus, they said the guy is harmless, and I have dog sat before and never had a problem with neighbors. He then takes a single step forward and says in a manipulative sounding voice, You all right? Steve is wearing dirty jeans, work boots, a dirty red hoodie, and a red hat with a confederate flag on it. He's also got brown dirty hair to his shoulders and a beard that's probably five inches long. Yeah, I'm pretty good. My name is Pip, just dog-sitting for Johnny and Terry this week, and ready to get inside and call it an evening with the boys. I look down at the dogs to see their reaction. They look like they're about to attack, and I had never seen them like that before. How about yourself? We sat in silence for about 30 seconds before he spoke. I'm asking if you're alright. I'm Steve. Uh, nice to meet you, Steve. Thanks for being a good neighbor and checking, but like I said, I'm good. Are you alright? Again, silence. Now this silence lasts for probably a whole minute, and I figure, he's wasted. I should just get inside. So I turn around and finish grabbing my stuff, and as I do, I hear him take another step towards me, into the gravel driveway. The dogs bark again. I turn around and Steve says, I know them. The dogs won't do nothing to me. They are some good dogs, that's for sure. I begin feeling super uneasy, so I close my trunk and turn around to see if he's going to say anything else. I was about to tell him that I was going inside, and then instead, awkwardly say, Yeah, I'm... He cuts me off. Yeah, what? He yelled. I'm shocked and say, Yeah, I'm going inside now. Thanks again for checking, Steve. I'm fine. I've got the dogs this week. Have a good night. I turn and go, and the dogs follow me with no problem. Steve continues to stand where I left him for literally ten minutes, just staring at the house. Note, this house does not have a front door. There is a side and a back door. The back door is the main door, because the front of the house has those big green fluffy privacy trees, so I can't even see his house through the front window. You can't see either doors from the street. You have to come onto the property to see them. It's about 6 o'clock, and where I'm at, the sun starts going down around then, but doesn't actually get dark until about 9.15pm during the summer. So the dogs and I are on the couch, and I've got my gaming headphones on while playing RDR2 online. All of a sudden, the dogs, the dogs start flipping out, running towards the back door, barking and growling. 
and I'm thinking, what is going on? They don't do that unless someone pulls up in their car, and they don't even know who it is. I'm not having anyone over. So I grab my knife, which is always close by, and start walking towards the back door. The dogs are still going crazy, and I have no idea what they're looking at. I don't see anything. But then, I look closer. I see moped taillights in the driveway, seemingly hiding behind my car. I then try and focus in, and see that Steve is turned around, staring at the back of the house from his moped, ducking behind my car. I get the dogs to be quiet, and I hide to see what he's doing. The dogs are still growling, but at least they're not giving away my location right now. I watch him for five minutes. No movement. Just a creepy stare in my general direction. I don't think he can see me, but I'm not sure. He then shuts off his moped and crouches next to my car, where I can see him now peeking into my car windows. When I lived in the country, I never locked any doors. Not my house, not my car, nothing. Since I work and live downtown, I naturally keep all of my doors locked at all times. I don't see him try to open the doors, but he walks around it a few times. He's not crouching anymore. Obviously, he feels like no one is watching him, or cares that he's looking into my car, but he is only taking a single step, stopping, look, looking in my car, then at the house. Repeat. A single step at a time. It was extremely creepy. At this point, I text Terry and tell her that Steve is doing some weird stuff, and I tell her I'm starting to feel uncomfortable. I get a text back reading, Call the cops if you feel unsafe. They know him. They can come talk to him. Remind me to tell you about the time he was standing out by the tree at 6 a.m. when I was leaving for work. When we get back. How comforting. So, I talk myself down some. This guy is just wasted. However, if he starts getting close to the door, I'm calling the cops. Dumb idea looking back, because the cops take so long to get out there. I'm watching him, as he's made his second round, looking into my car. He then gets on his moped and drives off. As he passes the window that faces the driveway, he sped up, trying to make it so I wouldn't see him if I were just watching TV. Now it's like 8 p.m. and the dogs start going crazy again. I look out and now his moped is parked in plain view and he is standing on the walkway just 30 feet from the house, staring and talking to himself. I had previously turned all the lights off so that he couldn't easily see in and see what I was doing. I see him take a single step towards the door, now about 30 feet away. I have calmed the dogs down, and they are in full-on protective mode. One dog to my left, and one to my right. It's around 8.15pm now, and I call the cops. I explain the situation, and that my owners think that he had a psychotic break. As I'm halfway through explaining why I'm starting to fear for my safety, the operator says, Ma'am, what is your address again? I tell her, I'm sorry, ma'am, but you're not located in our county. I will have to transfer you to the other county. Are you serious? The owner said that the cops around here know him very well and know how to handle him. Isn't that you guys? Yes, ma'am, that is us, but you are located in a different county. That is not our jurisdiction. The guy who is bothering me lives in your county. That is why I'm calling you. The operator then transfers me to another county. When she answers the phone with the average, 911, what's your emergency? I'm silent. I'm looking out the kitchen window, and Steve has come up about four or five feet since the last time I looked outside. 911, what's your emergency? I then explain what's happening, and explain that I was just transferred because I am apparently not in their jurisdiction. She then tells me to remain calm and to turn all the lights on. I said, screw that. This guy is waiting for me to do something like that. If he enters, I will hurt him. 
She then tells me that it is that it is the safest with the lights on. I turn on the lights and he notices, turns and gets on his moped and drives back to his house. I tell her what happened. She asks if I would still like to have an officer come out. Yes, I want an officer to come out. Apparently the cops in the other county know him, but she transferred me to you. This is the third time he's come onto the property and he's getting closer and closer to the door. I do not feel safe. Someone that is not me needs to talk to this guy. Calm down, ma'am. We will still send somebody. However, based on where you are located, it will take a while for one to get out there. That's fine. I just want someone out here. Thank you. I asked her if she would stay on the line until he got here. She says that one is on the way out, but she needs to be available if anyone else calls in. She told me if he comes back, and I'm still feeling uneasy, to call them without hesitation. Now it's about 9pm, and the sun is getting ready to set completely. Again, the dogs go crazy. I'm getting real pissed off and pacing around the house. I look out the window and see his moped, but I don't see him. Where is he? From the window in the kitchen, I can't see the back door. So I go upstairs, and one dog follows. The other is too old to climb the stairs and I peek down through the bathroom window. Steve is on the back porch, lighting matches and throwing them down onto the wooden porch. Yeah, totally harmless. He's talking to himself and twisting his head back and forth, like he's getting warmed up to fight, or having a conversation with another one of his personalities or something. I start filming him from the upstairs window, just in case I die, you know? so that I could hide my phone, and when they found it, they would know that it had to be this guy. The sun is down, and it's starting to get dark. He steps up to the door and starts knocking. He then starts pounding on the door. I'm pretty good at staying calm in situations, but my heart started beating so fast that my Fitbit had to change my heart rate tab every two seconds. If he gets in here... I'm going to have to fight this guy, or he is going to kill me. I could see pure hate in his eyes. Then he stops pounding at the door, quickly turns away, and runs to his moped. Starts it, and takes off faster than I thought a moped could go. Not even a minute later, the cop pulls into the driveway. I had mentioned to the dispatch operator that I have two dogs who will bark at the officer, but will not attack unless given a specific word. They are well trained. I met the officer and the dogs didn't growl. They simply gave a single bark just to let me know that someone was here. I went outside to meet him and told him that the guy just took off on a moped. He says, Oh yeah, I think I just passed him when I turned onto the road. I explain that he is absolutely drunk or crazy, and if he sees him on his way back, that he should definitely pull him over, because I'm quite positive he is under the influence of something. Normal people just don't act like that. The cop basically shrugs everything off and says, Well, are you going to stay the night here? I told him no, I will leave the dogs overnight and come back in the morning. I asked him to stay while I packed everything up. He nodded. I go inside, give the dogs love and treats, and crate them for the night. I take off and return the next day with my dad. My dad begins walking the perimeter to try and show him that a man is also staying here. I'm a 24-year-old female, if you're wondering. Then Steve, wearing the same dirty outfit and hat while holding a 24 case of Budweiser, is standing at the end of the driveway, again. I am watching him from the front window. I see my dad at the other end of the yard. As he comes into view, Steve turns around and walks back to his house. I later learned that Steve has been to jail multiple times due to domestic abuse. His kids are not allowed to see him due to his violent nature, and he bought a four-wheeler. No one knows how he gets money to get these things. Terry and Johnny have never seen him leave for work. They've only seen him leave on his moped or four-wheeler empty-handed for an hour or two and then return with a case or two of beer. 
I don't know who he thought I was, but every time he looked at that house in my direction, there was just pure hate in his eyes. Who knows what would have happened if I hadn't called the cops as early as I did. Thank you.